This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. As you know, I'm sure you've picked this up by now, uh, our theme for this year is Reconnect. You should be pretty familiar with that little slide there by now. It's the focus we have for the whole of the year um, and uh, it's, it's something that we're uh, encouraging you all to take to heart, um, to uh, engage with and be a part of. I've been doing a little bit of reading, um, trying to get a handle on what reconnecting might mean during these not quite post-COVID times, but in these, these times where uh, things are, are freeing up a little bit. What does that mean for churches? What does it mean for ministry? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for pastoral care? I, I recently came across this interesting article um, in the February edition of Outreach magazine. Um, it's a, a, the article was written by Kelly Williams, although that's not someone I knew. Just one short snippet from uh, this magazine article that I thought was interesting and uh, makes some good points. It says, this season has d dislodged people from their regular lives and routines. It has disillusioned them with what they have experienced and lost in these past two years. It has created discouragement in people because of the uncertainties and unknowns. I wonder if you might be feeling that way. Uh, if not now, perhaps that's been a feeling you identify with over these last two years. These factors have produced many barriers for reconnection. Some people have sim simply given up. Some are still spinning out of control, hoping to reconnect. Some don't know how. Some are waiting for someone to point them in a new direction. It is important that we strike a compassionate approach that helps people reconnect to God, to church, and to each other. And that's what we're on about, especially this year. In a variety of ways, uh, we're trying to reconnect. Um, reconnect to God, reconnect to each other, reconnect to our community. Lots of reconnecting needs to be done after all the disconnection of these last two years. And preaching is a part of that. Um, our sharing together uh, on a Sunday morning is part of that. Term one, our focus was on reconnecting with one another. Uh, this term, uh, we're focusing on reconnecting with the Holy Spirit. And uh, term three, term four, we'll be looking at other aspects of reconnecting. It's not just in words. It's not just talking about it. We're looking at events and activities that will uh, help you Help us all to reconnect in those ways. Our Bible reading this morning, the main one that I want to speak on, uh, is about reconnecting. Uh, it's about the role of the Holy Spirit in reconnecting. So let me read it to you. If you can't quite read it on the screen, it's uh, Hebrews 8, 6 to 13. And I'm reading from the Good News Bible. But now Jesus has been given priestly work which is superior to theirs. Just as the covenant which he arranged between God and his people is a better one 
because it is based on promises of better things. There had been nothing wrong with the first co- if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, there would have been no need for a second one. But God finds fault with his people when he says, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will draw up a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They were not faithful to the covenant I made with them and so I paid no attention to them. Now this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel in the days to come, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them will have to teach their friends or tell their neighbours, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. I will forgive their sins and will no longer remember their wrongs. By speaking of a new covenant, God has made the first one old and anything that becomes old and worn out will soon disappear. Let's pray before we uh, have a look at what God's word is saying to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you might guide us into truth and action as we explore today the scripture that you have inspired. Amen. God loves a new thing. Have you noticed that? A new day every morning. Uh, New mercies every day. Uh, New things in our lives. Uh, New things in the church. Uh, New things in the world. Kristen and I went to assembly at Morling College yesterday, the association's gathering, and the main speaker there gave some examples of God loving new things, Uh, some examples from scripture, but also some examples from churches that she works with in Victoria. But among the scriptures she quoted was Isaiah 43, 18 to 19, that I'm sure uh, many of you would be familiar with. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? That was God's words through the prophet Isaiah to his people. It certainly got me thinking um, overnight about God's new things. And I think the great new thing, perhaps the greatest new thing that God has done, uh, at least since creation I suppose, um, is the new covenant. It's a revolutionary, transforming, game-changing new thing in which the Holy Spirit plays a key role. So I want to talk about that today as we're concentrating on who the Holy Spirit is, what does the Holy Spirit do. Let's think about the Holy Spirit's role in this life-changing new covenant. Our passage talks about it in, uh, it talks about it in verse 8. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will draw up a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. That verse and the following four are a quotation from a prophecy delivered by Jeremiah. That's found in Jeremiah 31. I was almost going to have that as the Bible reading, 
but it's here in Hebrews. This new covenant is contrasted with the old covenant in verse 9. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors in the day, in the day I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. That old covenant was made with Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai after God had miraculously led them out of bondage in Egypt and taken them through the Red Sea. It was a covenant based on the law that God had given to Moses for the people. The Ten Commandments, of course, we know, were the central core of that, but there were many other laws and regulations, particularly ones about animal sacrifices. The contrast between the old and new covenants uh, is also made uh, in the introduction there in verses 6 and 7, uh, the verses that introduce the quote from the prophet. Jesus has been given priestly work which is superior to theirs, just as the covenant he arranged between God and his people is a better one because it is based on promises of better things. If there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, there would not have been the need for a second one. The new covenant is better than the old. God is doing a new thing, a totally new thing. It's better than the old because it's based on better promises. Let's look at those promises. I've, I've identified four that we'll, um, we'll have a quick look at together. The first is the promise of inward power, and that's there at the beginning of verse 10. Now, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel in the days to come, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. The history of the uh, children of Israel shows that they were totally incapable of keeping the law that God had given to them, uh, just as we would have been if we had have been living in those times. Time and time again, they repeatedly broke this covenant with God, falling back into sin and idolatry just so often, just like the nations around about them, when God had called them to be his special people. They would continually need to come to the, the tabernacle or later to the temple and offer there their, their uh, sacrifices and their guilt offerings. But the new covenant promised by Jeremiah and other prophets as well, Ezekiel, there are some uh, very significant passages that say the same thing in Ezekiel. Uh, these prophets provided um, promise of an inward transformation, uh, not the external obligations. A transformation of minds and hearts through the indwelling power of the Spirit of God, power that would be within people to change them from within and to help them to live the way that God was seeking. In the Old Testament, um, the Old Covenant, uh, we do see people doing some amazing things through the power of the Spirit. But the difference is that the Spirit's work was usually selective and temporary in the Old Testament. The Spirit would come upon someone. Um, that's a, a common uh, expression uh, in passages about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Uh, and it would be a selected individual. 
such as one of the judges or an army leader or a prophet. And it would only be for a specific time for a specific task. Now, that's um, uh, a very uh, sweeping generalisation because there are ambiguous exceptions, but that seems to be the general pattern under the old order. But under the new covenant, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is for all believers and it's for all time. A second promise we have here in this passage in the second part of that verse, it's the promise of possession. That had been God's, oh, well, oh, let me read it to you. I will be their God and they will be my people. That had been God's intention under the old covenant. The Israelites were even called the children of God. But they repeatedly, as I said, broke the covenant, disowned God and turned to false idols. But under the new covenant, there is a renewed promise and a renewed dynamic. Um, this is referred to by Peter in uh, his epistle uh, in chapter 2. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. In other words, Peter's talking about people who have God and God has them. That idea of possession. Under the new covenant, then, we have no need to pray, as David did in Psalm 51.11. Uh, there's much in that psalm that we can pray, uh, but we don't need to pray this bit. Do not, take, uh, do not take me from your presence or your Holy Spirit from me, because that's not how God works under the new covenant. There's a third promise here, and it's the promise of an intimate connection there in verse 11. None of them will have to teach their friends or tell their neighbours, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the last or from the least to the greatest. Um, I've, I've used that word um, uh, intimate, uh, the idea of an intimate connection there in that heading, uh, because I think it expresses um, that what the passage there means by knowing. Knowing has that connotation of intimate relationship. It's not just knowing about or being acquainted with. The idea is that for all who have the indwelling spirit under the new covenant, no one needs to say them, know the Lord, because they know God through the indwelling spirit of God. This is not just the, the Holy Spirit coming down upon or, or being with someone. It is the spirit indwelling, the closest possible relationship under the old covenant, God's dwelling with his people was in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle and in the temple. But under the new covenant, the spirit of God dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And the fourth promise I want to point out here is the promise of the forgiveness of sin. Verse 12, I will forgive their sins and will no longer remember their wrongs. This was partially possible under the old covenant through the rituals of sacrifice. 
but much more so under the new covenant, perfectly under the new covenant. The new covenant comes into being and was only possible through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus referred to it at, uh, in what he shared with his disciples at the Last Supper. As he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. His sacrifice was a once-for-all payment for the sin of the world. So as a believer, as one who is in Christ, your sins, past, present and future are forgiven by the grace of the triune God. Such is the boundless mercy of Almighty God. If we just... Um, I just want to duck into the next chapter for a moment and read you a couple of verses there that I think clarify that point. So the writer to Hebrews says in the next chapter in verses 13 and 14, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of burnt calves are sprinkled on the people who are ritually unclean and this purifies them by taking away their ritual impurity. That's under the old covenant. Since this is true, how much more is accomplished by the blood of Christ? Through the eternal spirit, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. His blood will purify our consciences from useless rituals so that we may serve the living God. Don't miss the, tri the trinity there in that last verse. We often think of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus' death on the cross and, and God forgives us because of Jesus' death and that's all very true. But the Spirit is there. Through the eternal Spirit, Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. Well, these four promises were made by Jeremiah during the era of the old covenant. But they pointed to a new theme a better covenant that would be inaugurated through the death and resurrection of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How blessed are we that we live in this new covenant era. So these promises made by the prophet so long ago about a coming age these promises are for us, for you and for me. The promise of inward power, that promise is the answer to our personal weakness. As a believer, that promise is for you. You can claim that promise. A power beyond your own because you have the power of the Spirit dwelling within you. The promise of possession. You can be assured of your eternal security as one of God's special precious possessions and you want a guarantee of that you have it as a believer because the Holy Spirit indwelling you is God's guarantee of that and it's not a guarantee like you know the TV you buy or the toaster that you know runs out in a few years this is a permanent guarantee we have that guarantee forever the promise of divine connection you you i we can all have a close and personal relationship with the eternal god of the universe 
through the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Now that's connection. That's reconnection. This promise addresses our need for security. Sometimes God might seem far off or you may feel disconnected from God. Here's one of my favourite little quotes from Anne Graham Lotz, Billy, Billy Graham's wife, uh, about that. If you feel far from God right now, guess who moved? You're only a decision away from reconnecting. And then we have the promise of sins forgiven. This promise relates to the spiritual need of all of us. When we own up to our sin, this promise assures us God forgives. Jesus died so that forgiveness could be made real in your life and mine. Just as the, uh, the worship team comes up, I'd like to close with one more verse. Uh, this is uh, from the prophet Ezekiel. And it points out to me the need that we all have for a heart transplant. And if you haven't had that new heart yet, you haven't had that heart transplant, then as Anne Graham Lott said, you're only a decision away from reconnecting with the divine. Ezekiel says, and I'll leave you with this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Amen and praise the Lord for that. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.